you're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash. Good morning. You are locked in live, and I'm your host, Algernon Cash. That's right. If you're listening to the show and you love what you hear, I would only ask that you invite others to join you. Share it with a friend so that you can spread some of this good information and good news that we're sharing here in our backyard. And I've got another exciting show for you. I am so excited to have my good friend Clarence Henderson on this morning. Clarence Henderson was hailed as a hero nearly 60 years ago when as a young black man, he participated in a sit-in at a segregated North Carolina lunch counter, attended North Carolina NT University, when as an 18-year-old, he joined the original four lunch counter protesters on the second day of their protest. And he and fellow protesters were arrested for their actions. However, it sparked similar protests throughout the South, which led to the desegregation of lunch counters and other nonviolent protests against racist policies. Clarence Henderson is now president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, and if you caught the RNC convention, then you saw Mr. Henderson as one of the keynote speakers. Clarence, how are you, my friend? Welcome to the show. I am doing great, Algernon. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. You can only imagine my um, surprise and my excitement when I was sitting here in my own living room watching the RNC convention and saw you pop up on the screen and you, you shared some really profound words. So I'm, I'm very honored to have you here on the show and, and sharing some commentary and some insight with our, with our listeners here. So I'm just going to kick into it. You know, I, you know Clarence, I, I shared a little bit of your bio and background around some of the work that you did during the 1960s. I think we all can agree that that was probably one of the most divisive periods in our country. And it was a period when a lot of African-Americans were victims of injustice and extreme violence, whether it be police brutality, destruction of private property, uh, racial profiling, you name it, it was all going on back in this period. I'm just curious, for someone like you who, who successfully went through that period and then you still find yourself active today, Clarence, how would you compare the 60s to what we're seeing right now in today's time plastered across our small and large screens? Well, there's a great di difference uh, in bet between now and then in that our Constitution says we have the right to peaceably pro uh, protest and bring issues to the forefront that need to be recognized about across America. And that's what I participated in was a peaceful movement whereby that we put Jim Crow on trial and Jim Crow was found guilty. What worked was that it was, it was peaceful. So now during the day, during the t today's times, what we see is that we have protests out here, which are legal protests. When they break into violence and mayhem and uh, looting and all this, it, it, it becomes chaos and it tears down rather than building up. So my advice to those who are out here protesting now is to make it peaceful and so that your point can be heard, so that you uh, people begin to understand what you're protesting for. So first of all, you have to know why you're protesting and what you're trying to achieve because you can, there two, in my mind, there are two kinds of protests. One is a, a, a an agenda-driven protest, which uh, uh, commits tyranny and oppression upon people, drives back toward King George III, and there's a principle-driven movement that we defend our freedom because freedom 
uh, is not free. It must be defended at all times. You, you, you know, I, I largely agree with you, Clarence. I'm a, I'm a big study of Martin Luther King Jr., um, you know, by far one, one of my heroes. And um, I, I have tried to spend a, a good deal of my life trying to even emulate to some degree the, the behavior that I, that I feel like King demonstrated and, and led during that period. And, you know, he was on record of being a, a, a prominent supporter of nonviolent protests. He, he felt like, you know, any type of violence sort of distracted from the message. And even in a lot of the government advocacy work that I've done over the last 20 years, it, it, a lot of it has been focused on messaging because I do believe messaging really matters. I, you know, I also, you're, you're actually one of, when I met you many, many years ago, you, you were one of the few people that I actually knew from that, that period of time. Now, my grandparents were great influencers in my life, but to be honest with you, my grandparents weren't really active during, during that 1960s protest period. My mom wasn't really active either. But you were one of the first people that I've met in real life who were really active during that period. So to me, I don't, I don't know how my listeners may feel about this, but to me, you're one of the founding fathers of effective, peaceful protests, at least in my own, my own mind. But, you know, today you, you do see these um, non, what start out to be nonviolent protests oftentimes quickly spiral in, in, into violence. And you, you were a young man back in the 60s when you were protesting. What, what advice would you have for some of these young protesters today if you could, if you could sit down and talk with them? Uh, my advice to them would be to know uh, exactly the history of uh, the thing that they're dealing with. Any... Uh, um, quote unquote racism or injustice, know what uh, that injustice is and know how to deal with it. There has to be a strategy for dealing with these various things. And the idea and the understanding needs to be is that it is we the people that can make the decisions and not they the government. And we make those decisions based upon things like what I did. And what we can make another decision is be proactive and get out and vote. Uh, during the time of election time this time and think before you vote and not vote before you think because uh, we, we don't have uh, we don't vet people uh, well enough to know if they hold the same values as we do when we vote for them. So the bottom line is that we need to understand that uh, 535 people should not be telling 320 million plus people what they should or should not do. And so the only way we can do that is to get the, the, the elected officials to understand that they work for us and we don't work for them. So again, I think of them as my employees and my vote is a contract between me and them. And my vote will be my hiring you because I think that you will, you will act toward the values that I have. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent for holding our elected officials a lot more accountable. And, mm -hmm. and, and in order to do that, you've got to really understand these issues and um, the depth of the issues in, in order to actually hold those accountable that are responsible for, for representing you, whether that be at the, the national level or state level, or even more importantly, in my opinion, the, the most important level of politics is right here locally, your, your city council, county commissioners and school board members and, and so forth. You know, just to play devil's advocate with you a little bit, Clarence, though, I, you know, here, here in the, mat, the matter of the past few days, we, we saw the NFL, we saw the MLB, we saw the NHL all decide not to play in, 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 in national games as a show, a, a show of, of um, nonviolent protests 
against some of the racial injustice that we see around this country. And I, I think a lot of this was spurred because of the, um, the video that got released many days ago of a young man in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Jacob Blake, who was shot in the back. Um, I think the gun was fired seven times. He was hit four times. But as, but as a response to that, you had major sporting teams um, decide to protest and not play in games. And, and many, you know, many would say that those were, those were peaceful. That's a peaceful, nonviolent way of protesting. How do you feel about, you know, major athletes deciding to protest these, these kind of injustices? I think uh, our voices should be heard, and I, I appreciate them doing it in a peaceful way because it brings to the forefront the attention, as you said, of the injustices that are occurring during this date and time, and they are very influential people in that uh, people watch them on a regular basis uh, and consider them as being sports heroes or whatever, so they are doing it the, uh, uh, the right way. That's the start. But I would advise each one of them, if they can, and they, some of them may be doing it now to start some kind, types of programs where they begin to go back into the underprivileged neighborhoods and begin to share with these children how they came up out of that situation and what they did and put in some programs in place that will help these kids as far as understanding how you process your way through uh, uh, the American system. First of all, one of the things is that we had to be concerned about, and I'll give you an example. When I was in business for myself, I had two young men come into my office and wanted to go to work for me, and I was in the financial services industry, and they filled an application. It was actually three, and they were all around 27, 28, and when it got down to the part about have you committed a felony, when that came up, that it, it limited them whatsoever. And so I would say to people that uh, don't get yourself in a situation where you have that kind of thing going on, a felony, so that you have a great opportunity to succeed in, in the system. So I admire them again for doing a peaceful protest, and I'm hoping that they will go back into some of the neighborhoods and begin to share with our kids uh, about how you can become success in whatever avenue you choose to go into. And here's the bottom line. It's not where you start. It's where you finish, and it's not where you come from. It's where you're going. There is a success system in America, and it's a free market system, and, and it may be a little tougher for us than it, uh, as it is for others, but again, I was in that industry for uh, almost 30 years, and I got in for a fee at that time of $35 to get an insurance license, and then I started doing mortgages, investing and things like that. So each person can find their own road here if they choose to. It may be hard work, but the question is, is it worth it? I consider myself uh, uh, Algernon as being a solutionologist. I look for problems that I can solve or help solve, and that's the way, best way that we can come up with this. Now, you, you know, when you think about entertainment, whether it be celebrities or um, sports athletes and, and, and so many others, if you go back to the root of, of why these different venues were created, they were often created by the Romans as a, for, as a form of entertainment to actually distract mm -hmm the people from the, the, the issues that were going on day to day. So wh what do you say to those people who say, you know what, some of these guys ought to just shut up and dribble the ball and, and keep entertaining people? Well, again, that's up to them. The one thing I would say to the uh, athletes is know some history of what you're dealing with. For example, anything that's going on in, in America today, be able to substantiate the statements that you make so they cannot be repudiated if it's your opinion, let people know it's your opinion. When you start talking about facts versus fiction or facts versus uh, not being reality, then you have to be able to, and, and I don't mean in disrespect, but it says that 
you need to better it's better be thought of fool and open your mouth and, and, and I remove all doubt. I work very hard to study my craft and know when I speak that I'm speaking from a place, uh point of reference that I've gone out and studied these things and know who's who's and what's what. So my advice would be to know the American history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And once you know that, if you know about slavery, you can speak on that. If you know about Jim Crow, you can speak on that. If you know about any injustice that's going on right now, if you have the facts and whatever people say, it doesn't matter because they, I don't know if you remember, it used to be a show that came on TV. It was called uh, uh, Dragnet. And oh, Joe, yeah. Friday, right, Joe Friday, when the women were saying they were giving him all this stuff, he said, just the facts, man, just the facts. And that's what I try to do. And let each person make their own decision. Because, see, I can't play at that level of sports they play because they are well-equipped, they're athletic, uh, are able to do it, and they've been trained and all this. So the same way that they're doing now, they have to do, do the same thing when they enter into this new venue. I like that. And, and, and it sounds like what you're doing is imploring them to as, as much time as you spend honing your, your talent and your craft, you, you should spend just as much time understanding the history of these public policies, how they came about That's and, exactly and right. the, the effects that they've had on, on so many different communities. I, I, I really like the way you put that. In, in your speech at the RNC, you, you also seem to take people to task that a lot of times they don't understand their history. I just heard you mention it a moment ago, just again. First of all, tell my listeners, what was it like to be on that grand stage at the RNC and how's life been in, in the 24 hours after? Uh, I have got some great response. I've got some negatives, but uh, I don't uh, deal on the negatives. I speak for Clarence Henderson and what I believe. And so I'm hoping that what I'm doing now will being to the forefront, what citizens can do because I'm an average, ordinary guy that was born on what people would call the wrong side of the tracks. Don't even have a birth certificate. The wrong side of the tracks for me was a farm in Townville, South Carolina. And I can remember as a kid, three or four years of age, trying to help my mother pick cotton. My parents only had a third grade education, but my father had a great craft. He was a mechanic, so when he came off of the uh, farm, what he was able to do was he went to work for himself and took care of himself and three children and, and a wife and on, on a part-time basis. He was so good that some of the dealerships years ago should bring cars to him that their guys couldn't fix it had a piece of paper on the wall. So again, for me, it's just a matter of when the opportunity presents itself to take advantage of the opportunity because, see, Algernon, as you know, defining moments are not unusual. We all have them. Those moments don't define us. What we do in those moments, that's what defines us. So I define that moment when I sit down at that lunch counter. And I've used that as a bridge from this point forward to build upon and let people know you, whatever you decide that you want to do is a, a poem I remember when I was growing up. It said, keep it going no matter what, just keep it going. And that's what I've done. I did not do it for what's happening right now. I did it, Alex and I, because it was something that needed to be done. We're walking out of F.W. Woolworths as a, as a kid. If you went downstairs, you saw two uh, bathrooms, one saying color and one saying white. You saw two water fountains saying one saying color and one saying white. And I used to look at the water and see that they looked the same and wonder what the difference was. There was no difference. It was about the color of somebody's skin and not the content of their character. So America will always be judged by the content of the characters as people. And we have an opportunity to, to, to uh, present to people and share with people and teach people things that, uh, you know, my, my, the bottom line for me is, Al is that I understand that my rights end where yours begin. 
And if I want to try to infringe upon your rights, I am committing oppression upon you. I don't care what you look like, black, white, red, or yellow. And I've always stood by that if someone wants to take away Clarence Henderson's freedom, I got a problem with it. I know you have several businesses. That, and what if I were to come in and try to take those businesses away from you in a hostile hostile way try to take away those business. You would want to defend your business. I thought the the commentary that you provided at the RNC convention was very poignant and um you know certainly appreciate you you doing it. And I'm you know I've I've known you for many years and so a lot of what you said at the convention wasn't necessarily new to me in terms of understanding your position on things. And I, I think it's remarkable and um again congratulations that you were given such a big platform and a big stage to be able to get that same message out nationally. And so I'm, I'm happy to hear that there are so many people that, that have been receptive. But as you also alluded to, there have been some people that were not so receptive. And, you know, even on my own timeline on, on Facebook, when I shared your speech, I got some, somewhat of a visceral reaction and, and oftentimes a visceral reaction from people who look like you and myself, Clarence. And, you know, part of that reaction was, uh, I think tied to the fact that at the at the at the convention and during your speech, you actually endorse uh, President Donald Trump for another four years. I think there are a lot of people who feel like over the years, even going back to the '70s or the '80s, that Mr. Trump has um, engaged in in some racist comments, or even to some degree, some people allege even racist behavior, going back to some of the things he he's done as it relates to real estate in in New York. So I just want to ask you flat out, I've, I've never actually been around, well, I've been around Donald Trump. I've never met him. I've seen him give a speech. I, I know you've actually visited the White House and had an opportunity to participate in some different events. And so I just ask you flat out, is President Donald Trump a racist or is he simply racially insensitive? Let me say this to you. Do you remember the, the lady, uh, Jennifer Holliday? Yes. Thing? When that tragedy occurred to her, Donald Trump put her in, up in Trump Towers, and she didn't have to pay anything until she got herself together. It's strange to me that I see pictures of Donald Trump being with uh, uh, Don King, with Jesse Jackson, with Al Sharpton, and he's helped a number of those people. So why did it change from when he became, instead of a private citizen, to the President of the United States? This is what I hold him accountable to. Since he's been in the office, I have challenged anybody to show me one policy that he's put in place that's racist. When you look at the HBCUs, historically black colleges and, and, and uh, universities, he has guaranteed that they will have funds come in for the next 10 years, more than the past president. When you look at prison reform, 91% of the people that have come out of the prison reform look like me and you. When you look at opportunity zones that which have been in underprivileged areas, low-income areas, who has been at the forefront of that? Again, Donald Trump. When we look at school choice, who has been at the forefront of that? Donald Trump, who is also in favor of of of, of uh, um, uh, uh, pro pro life. Okay, let's go back to school choice. Here's what I see with that. I grew up in an area uh, known as segregation. They would not let us in the white school. Now they won't let us out of these schools when our kids are failing. So it's a reverse form of discrimination. And these parents should have a, should have a choice as to where their kids would go to have the best 
opportunity. We have a governor right here right now that does not endorse that. When it comes to uh, life choice, then you have a governor said if a baby is born, a baby born alive, then do not just let the baby die. See, so how can we do that when we got uh, most of the uh, babies that are being born, being aborted percentage wise, are, are black babies. For every black baby that's born in New York, you got two that are aborted. So we had to look at this thing real. This is this is what's do, who's doing what now. If Donald Trump comes out with any racist policies, I'll be the first one to call him out. He is not a a politician. He is a a leader in the field that he came out of. And politicians are dime a dozen, but leaders are priceless. And so I look at this guy to see what's the best choice for us. Because when Hillary Clinton was running, she said that. The church had to change its mind about abortion. Well, based on what I believe, then that's wrong. So I couldn't vote for her based on that. And then when they said about the economy, she says, I'll have Bill take care of that. That simply means that she didn't know anything about the economy. But I, but Donald Trump has proven that he understands a free market capitalistic, capitalistic economy that's in America. And when you have a politician that does not understand that they can be most dangerous, may, they may have good intentions, like putting a, a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, and and you 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 say well he he hasn't necessarily implemented racist policies, but but going back to the the start of his initial term here, I mean I mean when you look at the the fact that he ran his campaign on the idea of building a wall to to keep you know Mexicans out of this country, that he also he, you know within the first hundred days of him being in office, he um, wrote an executive order banning all Muslims from from coming into the country. Do do you not necessarily see those as racist policies or was that just him keeping campaign promises here's the thing i see about it. let's let's deal with the first issue you said mexicans the mexican he was talking about are illegal, illegal aliens now i'll break that down to to uh i'll micro manage that uh which was macro managed the same thing is me taking the doors off of my house and saying who wants to come in and come in, who wants to go into my refrigerator and go in my refrigerator, sleep in my bed and have all the rights that I've fought for. You, it's all right to come in this country based upon what they say, a person said they can legally do, uh, legally come into this country. So uh, that part of it, uh, I understand. Now, uh, what was the next part you said? Again? Yeah, with, with, within his first hundred days in office, he he wrote an executive order basically banning all Muslims from from entering the country, and obviously, you know, re- rescinded that order. But you know, a lot of people saw that as a as a particular racist policy. Again, here's the thing I would say about the Muslims: if they are people that have a history of committing violence or mayhem or terrorism, that's one thing. We have some Muslims in this country that are citizens and they do everything that's like you and I do. But we have some in here that want to tear down the fabric of this country. And we have to know who's who and what's what. So, again, my question to any person is that what do you stand for? We have right now, and I'll say this now, quite frankly, we have two Muslim women that are in the, in, on the Democrat side of, of, of our, our uh, Congress that are saying everything they possibly can against uh, uh, this country, uh, the free market capitalist system, so we should go into socialism, communism, and all kinds of things. And those kind of things do not work. Mr. Henderson is president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, a civil rights activist, and also uh, just recently a keynote speaker at the RNC con- convention. You, you know, um, one of the questions that I've gotten from Facebook, Clarence, is from Scott Arnold, and he 
asked if whether or not you were safe when you left the White House when you gave your speech. But I, I, I think you pre-recorded your speech. You were in Greensboro. Um, so that, that question may not be as No, it's irrelevant. It, it I was there. Oh, you were in, in Washington, D.C. I, was I was in the Rose Garden when he did his acceptance speech. Understood. Okay. I, I know that one of the, the images that got plastered on our screen was when Rand Paul uh, went to leave and, and w was attacked by a mob of people that were, were coming out of the, as he was coming out of the White House. And when I watched that video, one of the things that they kept screaming at Rand Paul was to say her name. Um, and that, that wasn't, that wasn't uh, a reference to Breonna Taylor, who was killed in, in, in Kentucky as a result of a no-knock warrant um, from, from police officers. The interesting thing about the whole event is the fact that um, Senator Paul happens to be the only senator in the country that actually authored legislation to end no-knock warrants as a result of, of the death of Breonna Taylor. And so a lot of the people I think that was attacking him as he was leaving the White House was unaware of this. Do you think at the end of the day, I mean, do, do Republicans just have a messaging problem in terms of helping people understand some of the policies that they're working on in, in D.C.? Uh, Algernon, you're exactly right. The reason why I became involved as far as the political arena of the, of the Republican Party, besides voting Republican, I went to them and I said to them, you have a problem messaging. You do not share with people what the Republican Party platform stands for. The 13th Amendment, getting rid of slavery. The 14th Amendment, giving black men citizenship. The 15th Amendment, giving black people the right to vote. They are constantly allow the other side to frame the conversation instead of doing a contrast as to who's who and what's what. So that doesn't mean every Republican stands for that. It doesn't mean every Democrat stands for that. But here's what I look at the broad scope of it. I can only hold the Democratic Party responsible and accountable for what their platform says. And I can only do the same thing for the uh, Republican Party. And if, if one of them steps out and I have a chance to speak on them not representing the people, then I'll call them out in a heartbeat. Yeah, and so I, I, you're, you're right to messaging it. It's like, what are the benefits? It's like the difference. If, if you and I, if you were going to sell me a car and uh, you would tell me the benefits of having an air conditioner versus the benefits, uh, the non-benefits of not having that, uh, uh, the air conditioner. So the bottom line would be, what would be the benefits and what would be the value of my buying your car? What would be the value of voting Republican for a particular person as opposed to voting for this person over there on the other side of the aisle? So I look at it as, a, as value voting as opposed to uh, Republican or Democrat. I'm a conservative that looks for people that represent what Clarence is all about. Yeah, and I, I think one other thing that's contributing, not, not only messaging, but I, I do think that there's been a uh, erosion and deterioration of public trust. And right. uh, unfortunately, there's so many people who you don't trust the criminal justice system. They don't trust their elected officials. They just don't trust um, a number of these institutions that have been created around us. And that's something that I think we've all got to actively work towards to, 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 to repair and um, rehabilitate. And I know one of the things, I'm, I'm running out of time. I've probably got one minute left. I know one of the things that you've been doing is through the Frederick Douglass Foundation is trying to educate people more about these kind of policies and, and to try to build up this trust and maybe even work with those who want to go out and serve the public. Real quickly, can you just tell my listeners a little bit about the Frederick Douglass Foundation and some of the positive work you all are doing there? The Frederick Douglass Foundation is a public policy organization that stands up for the voices that are unheard. 
that brings issues to the public about what's happening, for example, in the urban areas, so people can recognize what needs to be done. I have the opportunity at this point to sit on the a central committee for the Republican Party, and I bring issues to the forefront that they have no idea about so that we can discuss these things and I work toward us coming with, up with some kind of resolution for that. So again, I'm doing the same thing now that I was doing in 1960. A lot of people don't understand. I'm still fighting for the underserved people, the people that are being attacked by the color of the skin or the ideologies or whatever it is, Algernon. No, I appreciate you all. And, and if other people wanted to learn about the foundation, real quick, what's the website? FDFNC.site. FDFNC.site. I would encourage my listeners to go look that up, learn more about the work that they are doing, not, not just here in your backyard, but they're doing this work nationally. And again, you've been locked in live. My guest has been Clarence Henderson, civil rights activist and keynote speaker at the RNC convention. I would encourage you to go online, Google Clarence Henderson, learn more about the work that he's doing. Try to connect with him on Facebook and some of the other social media platforms that are available out there. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, I would ask that you reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Look for Algernon Cash. Thanks a lot, Algernon. The executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.